listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. going to be, like I said, in Colossians 3, and this is kind of a, a little shift in, in Paul in the writing of the book of Colossians. Um, he's going to move now to some very practical application, but before he gets even to that, he's going to linger a little bit longer um, on this idea of the supremacy of Jesus, and specifically this morning, our union with him and what that means. And so last week, um, in the, as we finished up chapter 2, we talked a little bit about uh, syncretism and how the, false, the religious leaders, the false teachers were, trying to, were pulling from different areas of, of life, and it was very um, emotionally driven, very subjective, it was based upon their experience or their feelings or their ideas, and they're creating these uh, self-made or man-made religions, and we talked about this idea of being self-authenticated, self-validated, self-actualized, and how all of that moved to what was called the, the human potential movement, and then that's moved to what we call now the, the self-esteem movement. And we, and we see the fruit of those movements in our life and in our culture today. But there's one thing I want to make really clear, um, is that these people... Right, whether it was back um, in the days of Paul in the Colossian church or if it's what we're seeing today, um, there are people that are looking for a solution um, to the brokenness of this world. They recognize and realize that the world is not functioning properly. What they're seeing and what they're experiencing doesn't make sense and it's, and it's off. And they recognize that and they're trying to find that solution. And we know, right, that the solution is Jesus, it is the gospel, and so it's an opportunity for us, and we put in that, that uh, the idea about that gospel opportunity um, prayer request, because we start praying that way, God will, as Jeff mentioned, God will bring us those opportunities to speak um, truth into the, into the lives of these people, and to help guide them, and by his grace, um, save them, and to understand that Christ is the answer, and it is ultimately in Christ that we are ultimately fulfilled, we are nursed, and we are knit together as believers. And then Paul, at the end of chapter 2, asks us really just pause and push back and said, hey, if you are in Christ, why these things? And so the, the application was we need to be asking ourselves that exact same question, because we need to be pursuing Christ, because in him we have been fulfilled and we have been made complete. And so this morning, we're going to be just in the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. And I want you to listen as I read this morning these, these four verses. Listen for the repeated words and listen to the repeated phrases. Um, I may emphasize them as I read it, but I think you'll understand and you'll see what Paul is again pushing in on the people to understand and to recognize. So let me, I'll read, I will pray, and then we will have some fun this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to, to gather here and to be here, Lord, to worship you, Lord, to set aside the, the busyness of this past week and the busyness of the week that is ahead, Lord, to, to praise you and to honor you. Lord, we thank you that you have, you are a God that who hears, you're a God who cares deeply for us. Lord, you, you hear our prayers, whether we speak them out loud or whether we speak them in our hearts. Lord, and you've given us your words. Lord, a guide for us in this life. Lord, you hear our praises, you hear our songs. Lord, you care deeply for us, and for that we are truly humbled and grateful. Lord, so I pray now that as we hear your words, Lord, that we would be submissive to what your word has to say in our lives. Lord, that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would be challenged by your words. Lord, because we know that your word is powerful. Your word brings life. And so we pray for that this morning. And I ask this all in your name. Amen. So there's two things that Paul now is going to tell the Colossian believers that they're supposed to do, right? They're to seek the things that are above, and they're to set their minds on the things that are above, and they're really, really close, right? They sound almost the same, like Paul's repeating himself, but they're slightly different here. But he starts off and he tells them, if then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And the way that he writes that, it's, it's a first-class condition statement. You're like, big deal, right? Well, it kind of is a big deal, because what that argument means is there's an if clause and there's a then clause, right? You don't really see it clearly in the English, but it's written this way that if... And let's assume that if peace is true, then this is what you're supposed to do. Right, that's a first-class condition statement, so it could be read this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. And so Paul is reminding the Colossian believers Right, or he's maybe uh, affirming in them, you want to know what? You have been raised. If you have been raised, and we're going to say that that's true, then this is how you're supposed to live. So he's going to push now and start getting a little bit more practical for these believers. And so if it's true, you've been raised with him, then you need to be living a certain way. But there's a little bit of tension, right? Paul is really good at creating some tension when he writes. There's this already kind of not yet idea here when we talk about being raised with Christ, right? Because the, the not yet piece, like we're waiting for that day, right, when Christ returns, right? And we will be raised with him. We will meet him in the air and he will bring us home to our, our eternal home in heaven. So we're waiting for that that raised with Christ moment, but we are already, in a sense, raised with him. Right? Because if we are in Christ, if we, if we have a union with Christ, then there's a spiritual resurrection in our life that has already taken place. And there's a sense of that we, Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, but we, we have been raised with him. 
And we are alive because of Christ's resurrection and being raised from the dead. See, it's through their union in Christ, Paul is telling them that these believers, they have died and they've been buried and they've been raised or risen with him. They already possess this this divine and eternal life and it's not just an endless existence and we look forward to that but there's this this call that is now on our lives that we're to live a certain way. It's no longer the kingdom of this world. It's the the kingdom that Jesus has ushered in with the new covenants. And the Holy Spirit has opened up their hearts and their minds to, to know what God has required of them, so they need to be living a certain way. So if you have been raised with him and you have then this is how you are supposed to live. And here's two ways you're not to seek, you are to seek, excuse me, the things that are above. And the idea of seeking is not looking for something that's lost. It's not like you you look for your car keys or you look for your cell phone. Right, but it's intentionally, right, kind of orienting their lives around what God has called them now to be. Because they are in Christ, because they have a union with him, their life has to look to him. There needs to be a devotion, a change in how they live in that life that is pleasing to, to God's. But this is not our default way of, of thinking or of living. At least it's not mine. Right? I'm, a, I'm a selfish guy. I want my, my own things. I'm really good at focusing on the horizontal aspects of life. And Paul's saying, no, you need to be, you need to be thinking more vertically. Right? What, is, what is God calling you to do? Right? The fruit of the Spirit. Right? It's really hard to always be loving and patient and kind and gentle. But that's what we're called to be. That's how we're called to to live, and it's these things that, that are above, right? And we can get so consumed with the things that are, are down here on, on earth, but if we are in Christ, we need to be thinking on the things that are above, right? Where Christ is, and he is seated right, at the right hand of God. That's where he is, and so that's what we need to be looking, and that's how we need to be thinking, and we need to be living, Right? Because Christ is sitting right, in a position of authority. He is sitting in a position of power and of influence and of honor. And he's sitting there ministering as our great high priest. He intercedes on our behalf. And so we need to be thinking about those things. Because we've already been raised with him. So we need to be thinking where he is and living in light of where he is. Because we're united with him. It's a fascinating concept, and it hurts my mind to think about that. But that's who we are. That's who I am in Christ. So we're to be looking to seeking the things that are above where Christ is, because we're united with Christ. We're no longer united to this world, and we're united to Christ, so pursue Jesus. And so if you're going to seek the things above, right, you have to commit to this daily, right? That you're, you're going to pursue 
Jesus. You're going to pursue him and what he calls us to do and who he calls us to be. It's the values of his kingdom, not the earthly kingdom. And that takes work. But Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, oh, by the way, you have been, seek the things that are above. Then he tells them to set their minds on the things that are above. Right? So you can, you can seek these things, but you, you've got to set your mind to these things. You have to really fix your attention. You really have to take careful consideration of what God calls you to do, who he calls you to be, and you need to set your mind on those things. Don't fix your attention, don't fix your mind on the things of this world, the temptations. Or if you want to make this, bring this back to the Colossian people, don't fix your mind on the idea that you're going to be disqualified because you're pursuing Christ. Don't fix your minds on the fact that you may be take, you don't become taken captive right, by philosophy and empty deceit and human tradition. Right? Set your mind on the things that are above. Don't blindly follow people who make a really, really good argument and it sounds really, really good, but it just there's something about it that seems a little bit off. Don't just blindly follow them. Set your mind on the things that are above. All right, so it's not just purely a, a, an intellectual process here. That's part of it because you have to know, right? But it moves very quickly down to your heart. Right, and how you live. Right? So it's, it's, it's a change. It's orienting your person in the right way. You, you hear these things. You hear these distractions. You hear all of this. But you're focused on and you're setting your mind on the things that are above. And those things that are above is, is anything that's tied to Christ. It's the values of his kingdom that he has ushered in. It's a call to pursue Jesus and all that he has to offer. Because if we set our minds on anything else, right? We're pursuing the things of this world. Right? But if you have been united, if you have been raised with Christ, and oh, by the way, you have seek the things that are above where Christ is and set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. You've been united with him. There's a freedom that you have. Pursue that freedom. Now, Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 12 when a scribe came up to him and said, okay, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. And he says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you're to, to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Did you hear what Jesus did there? Right? All your hearts, all that is inside of you, your, your, your affections and your desires, your soul, all, that's just your, your entire being. 
right? Your mind, your, your, your thinking, and your, your reasoning, and your understanding, right? All of those things, that's what you're, that's what you're to do. That's how you love God. Paul is saying, right, if you've been raised with Christ and you have, seek the things that are above. Pursue Jesus and Him only. Right? And the only way that any of that is possible, even remotely possible, is because Christ has accomplished it. And if you look at the life of Christ and how he lived, right, he loved his Father, the Lord his God, with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and all of his strength. He did it. He accomplished it. He's fulfilled it. We are fulfilled in Christ. We are united with Christ. All right, so if that's true, right, and I'll probably say this at least twice, right, we are not to strive for a, a heavenly status. Christ has accomplished that. He's done it. We're united with him. We are completely fulfilled in him. But we are, right, this is what Paul is arguing here, but we are to make that status that we have in Christ, we're united with him, right? That's to be the guideposts or maybe the, the guardrails, right, for our, our thinking and our acting, right, and how we live and what we pursue and what we set our minds on. Right, so we're not to strive for heavenly status. Christ has fulfilled that. We are united in him. We have been reconciled and redeemed back to the Father. But we are to take the status that we have, that union that we have with Jesus, right, and that's to fuel how we live our lives. If we strive for heavenly status, it becomes about us and it becomes about works. We're to take what we have in Christ. And this is the beauty of the gospel and just our union that we have with Christ. It's so freeing. Right? But it's hard to think about it as being freeing because we like to do things and accomplish things. It's been accomplished. It's freeing. So now just live in light of what we, who we are in Christ. So it's necessary that we live a certain way because of, of, of who we are in Christ, and it's not to earn favor or, or, or status, right? It, it's, we're, we're fulfilled and we're united in him. It's, it's, in, it's in response to who we are in Christ. So we have to live this way, right? But it's only possible to live that way because of what Christ has done for us and how he's redeemed us and fulfilled us. And we are united with him. We no longer are subject to the powers of this world. We serve a, a heavenly, we are in a heavenly kingdom. We have the power of a new life because of who we are in Christ. So a key to living a life with Christ, right, is to have our life centered on Christ because of who he is and, and what he has done. 
Jesus needs to be the center of our universe. He needs to dictate how we live and the choices that we make. Right? There's such a beauty in the union that we have with Christ, and we need to live out those realities. And Paul unpacks this a little bit further in the last two verses, verses 3 and 4. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he tells them, listen, you, you, you've, you've died with him, and, and your life is, is hidden with him. And he's talked about death before, Paul has in the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And so if you even just hear just that, that phrase, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. When I hear that, when I read that, there's almost a sense of helplessness and, and hopelessness. But now he says in chapter 3, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with, with Christ. It sounds different. You're dead, but it's different. Right? There, there's, this, there's this freedom that we experience. There's this freedom that you hear. Right? Because here's the reality. Right? The wages of sin is Death, Romans 6, 23. Right? And so, therefore, we must die. But our union with Christ, right? He died in our place. Right? But the wages of sin is death. And so we must die. But we're, we're united with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ... For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. There's a union that we have, and so Christ died for our sins. And so in, in some way, in, in God's economy of salvation and redeeming his people, that, that we've died, that we died with Christ because we're with Christ. We are in him, and so we are supposed to die. We have died, and that is because we are in Christ. See, the, the freedom... That is there. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, Paul says, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. If we are in Christ, we have died. The penalty of sin has been paid by Christ, but because we're united with him, and in some sense, we have died with Christ. Christ and we have died and our sins are covered. And yes, you want to know, we still battle sin, right? Sin is a reality. We still battle sin in our lives, right? We still see the effects of sin in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And it still can have an effect on us, but guess what? It cannot condemn you 
because you are with Christ. Romans 8, verse 1, therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you have died, right? And your life is hidden with Christ in God. You just said like we died. How is our, our, our life hidden? It's because you're, you're with Christ and he's been raised. And so you've been raised. And so your, your union with Christ is, is this a fascinating idea and just untruth that we have to wrestle with. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 8, now if, we have, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Right? There's this, this, this union with Christ that has to fuel the way that we think and the way that we leave. We, ne- we have to think about the things that are above. We have to seek the things that are above because of who we are in Christ and our life is hidden with him. And this, this idea of hidden, it, it's, it's, I don't know if I can do it justice. I will try to do it justice here this morning. And there's a sense of it being, there's a, there's a security that we have in Christ. But there's also just this, this visible side of who we are in Christ that's still kind of hidden. And so let me unpack this for us this morning. Right, because of our union with Christ in his death and in his burial, and in his resurrection, right, there is a spiritual security that we have. And there's a spiritual security that the Colossian people were craving, right, because they're hearing all these different teaching and all these different ideas, right, and there's confusion now about what we're to believe and who we're to follow and what we're supposed to do here, and Paul is saying, listen, you're, you're with Christ, you're in him, you have a union with him, and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, you're alive in him, your life is hidden, you have a security in Christ that no one can take from you. You're safe, you're protected. But then there's another sense that where your, your life is, 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 is hidden, it's not as, as clear. Right? Because the true life of a believer is not some, and this is, this is where it gets a little bit wonky, it's not, some, it's not a, a physical change, right? It's, it's a heart change. Right? So it's, it's very, it's internal, it's in, your, it's in your heart. And so for people, right, it, it's not necessarily visible. Now, we, we can see the fruit, right? Here's where it gets a little bit weird, right? Here, we can see the fruit of a changed life. And we, we can see the fruit of what's happened. Someone comes to Christ, right? And you just see, their, sometimes you just see like their, 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 their countenance changes, their, 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 their attitude changes, their, their outlook changes. Like, boy, yeah, something's happened to them. But they, but they still look the same. They still dress the same. Right? When, you don't, when you come to Christ, you don't have to go out and get a certain kind of haircut. Right? So they still physically look the same, but there's a, there's a transformation that has happened. And so in that sense, it's, 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 it's hidden. Right? But, if, but if, you're, if you're in Christ, right, as, as believers, right, 
We, 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 we can sense that, can't we? Like, can't you just tell? Right? And it doesn't matter where you are. I've been in the Czech Republic a couple times, and, and you, you, can have a, you can have fellowship with believers, and I, I can't understand a word that they're saying to me, but there's a connection that you have, and you just know, like, boy, they're, 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 they're in Christ. And so there's this, this spiritual connection, and so although it's still kind of hidden, right, if we're in Christ and we have a union in Christ with other believers, we, we can sense Right and, and, and know that their life has been changed. And so Paul is saying that your, your life is, is hidden with Christ in God, that it, it's secure, and, and you can know that, you're, that your life has been transformed. And, and, and not everyone else is going to be able to see that and understand that, but because it's still kind of hidden, but, it, but it's there and it's, it's very real. But if that's true, then, then how we live matters. Right? And Paul says that, you're, that your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So there's going to be a moment in history where Christ is going to appear, and you're going to appear with him, and then everyone's going, it's not going to be hidden anymore. People are going to know. But your, 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 your job, right, the, the way we need to live, right, if you have been raised with Christ, you seek the things that are above, you set your mind in those things, how you live matters, even though to an extent your, your life in Christ is kind of hidden, how you live matters. Because how you live shines that little bit of a light. Right? And, and Jeff and I didn't plan what he was going to say when he opened up the service and reading Paul Tripp. Right? Or even talking about how, you know, being in a gallery and having the light on in the gallery, showing the fruits of the Spirit. We didn't plan that. But how we live matters because we are in Christ and our life is hidden in Him. And so when Christ appears, when Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Right, so it's, again, here's this tension of this already, not yet. We're already, we already kind of appear with him because we're in him, but we're going to really appear with him and we long for that time when people will see. So once what was once hidden will appear very clearly and very visibly. But our time in between, right, salvation and that day when Christ returns and we appear with him in glory, right, God is at work in your life, right? You are secure in him. Nothing can take you from him. And he's giving you opportunity and putting things in your life to grow you and to make you more like his son. Praise God. You're in Christ. Your union in Christ. And you see how, how freeing that can be. 
And that's what I want you to, to, to just feel this morning is just how freeing that can be. If we orient ourselves the correct way, if we pursue the right things, if we understand who we are in Christ, there is a freedom that we have. And so I want to spend time looking at one phrase, right? Who is your life? When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Paul didn't have to put in who is your life, right? It's a perfectly good sentence, right? When Christ appears, you also will appear with him in glory. But he added in this, who is your life? And so I was thinking about this this week and studying I said, well, what, what, let's, let's just talk about life for a minute. Because like, Christ is our life. Right? You're united with him. You've been raised with him. He is your life. What does the Bible have to say about life? Now, if we start talking about, thinking about just, just God, right? He alone is the living God. There's only one living God, and it's him. It's not idols, right? He, he, makes, he has a lot of fun making fun of idolatry, by the way. If you read like in Isaiah and other passages, right? They're blind, they're deaf, they're mute, they can't do anything. You can sit on them, and that, and all those things. Because he alone is the living God. And so when God is commissioning Moses to go to Pharaoh, and Moses says, well, yeah, well who am I supposed to say sent me? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I alone am the living God. I am life. I'm the one who sent you. God has life in himself. He's, he's, I don't know, uncreated life. He always has been, always will be. Right? And, but but he, 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 he spoke life into existence in Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 2. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 says... It's God alone who has immortality. He's always been. He always will be. If you look in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, there was a tree in the Garden of Eden. In the middle of the garden, it was the tree of life. And Adam and Eve could eat from that tree. They couldn't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was the only one they couldn't eat. They could eat from the tree of life. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. God says, these words see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal and there is none that can deliver out of my hands. 
He controls life. He's sovereign over life. And so life isn't something that that you earn or that you're owed. Life is a gift that's received. It's evidence of God's grace in your life, and therefore life is sacred because it flows from the one and only true living God. And we can start talking about now humanity. Right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Right? God formed man out of the dust from the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What a picture of just an intimate relationship that God has with mankind. At the end of Genesis chapter 3, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. We can all trace our roots back to Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blesses Adam and Eve, and God tells them that they are to be fruitful and multiply. They're to fill the earth. They're to do the earth. They're to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so mankind is called to, to, to have dominion over the things that are alive and living on this earth. So you just start thinking about life, right? And so Jesus, right? When Christ, who is your life, and then we, we, we continue, right? Well, God defines life by, by his words. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 47, right? Moses has given the law to the Israelite people, And he says these words, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Life is defined by the word of God's. Human life is frail. Human life is fragile. But Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8 say this. A voice voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely people, the people are grass. What a picture of just being fragile and frail. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There's an eternal nature to his his word, and in his word is life. You can't talk about life apart from God. You can try to, but it fails. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord's. Acts chapter 17, 
Paul is talking to the, 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 relig- to the, the philosophers and the, the great thinking minds in Athens. And he tells them that in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. It's his words. And so when, when Paul writes that when Christ, who is your life, right, that, that's a huge statement. And so we, so we have to continue to unpack the statements. Because we know, like in the Old Testament law, which Moses has said, right, that, that it's no empty word, but it's your very life, right? So, so that law is binding on how you live. And as you read the law, we get to Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, for life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altars to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So the blood is, is a sign of, of life. And so when blood is spilled, life is emptied because it contains life. But yet, in a sense, blood can atone for another person's life. And so there's the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. You get to the wisdom books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, right? And life is often pictured in terms of, of, of length, um, and quality, but the, but, the, but the push is that right, it's, it's godly wisdom that leads to, to life. Right? It's the word of God that leads to, to life and to ethical character and good morals. True life is found in God and pursuing his wisdom. The best life is received by following God's words. And then even, like, you think about life. There's such a communal aspect to life. It's to be lived in community. Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs 18.1 says, those who isolate isolate themselves break out against all sound judgments. So there's this, this, this sense of like you're, you're, you're to be in community with one another. Right? So when you're reading the Old Testament and when God's exiling his people, right? It, 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 there's, he's separating his people from one another and some are going here, some are going there, some are staying back. Right? It's, almost, it's almost like a death sentence because that, that community is such a vital part of, of life. So Christ, right, who is your life? But then, then we have to start thinking about, right, Genesis chapter 3, right, because we know, right, that, that life, right, is flowing towards death, if you will, right? And it's because of sin, right? When God is pronouncing the judgment in the garden for sin, He tells Adam, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
Sin brings death. But yet you read the Old Testament, and there's these little glimpses and these little promises of life in the midst of that turmoil, in the midst of the brokenness of creation. You see little glimpses. Right? You have the sacrificial system where, where blood can atone for someone's life, and so there's, there's, there's hope there. Right? There's something there. Or then you read about these men like Noah and Moses and Joseph who were, who were mediators and who God used to, to preserve life because of Noah's faithfulness. God didn't obliterate everybody. Moses bringing his people, being, bringing God's people out of Egypt. Right? Out of bring him to, to life, this promise of life, the promised lands. Joseph being sold off to Egypt, but he, God used Joseph to, to preserve the life of his people and the nation of Israel. You see these glimpses and these promises in the midst of death, in the midst of sin. And then we arrive ultimately right at Christ. Right, so Christ, who is your life, you've been united with him. He is your life, and it is ultimately through Christ that you have life. He perfectly fulfilled the law. You are fulfilled in him. You are united with him. He restores God's people to life. That's why Jesus can say in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 6, verse 68, right? Jesus has just been teaching in the synagogue, and he's been telling people that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood, and he's, he's thinning the crowd, if you will, at that point. And Jesus asked his disciples, hey, are you going to leave too? Because people are like, this guy's, this guy's teaching is really messed up. We need to get out of here. But his disciples were there, those, those men that he had called, those 12. He said, hey, are you, you going to turn tail and run as well? And Peter says this, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. When Christ, who is your life, appears. And we can read in, in Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus holds the keys of both life and death. Right? He holds the keys of death. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Right, so, so like life and death is bound up in Christ and who he is. And so if we are, if then you have been raised with him, and oh, by the way, you have, seek the things that are above where he is. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things of this earth. This isn't your home. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when he, when Christ, who is your life, appears and you will also appear with him in glory. You're united with him. He is your life.
And you can get to Revelation chapter 22. And the angel shows John this vision, and he writes these words, and the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There's life in Christ. The tree of life will be in the new Jerusalem. It'll be there. And Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Right? He is your life. You've been united with him. You have a union with him. Right? So when we take communion here in a couple minutes, right? and I always say probably the same thing. You probably can recite it back to me word for word, right? but we remember and we, we celebrate. Right? And part of that remembrance is, is that, that union with Christ that we have died with him, we have been buried with him, we have been raised with him. Right? And so Christ is our, our life, we need to remember that, but we, but we celebrate as well because we look forward to that day when Christ, who is our life, appears because we will appear with him in glory. Right? It'll be realized. And so we remember and we celebrate. So our, our, our present life and our future life Right is completely bound up in Christ. That is our, our union that we have with Christ. And so as he died, we died with him. And when he died, we were buried with him. And when he was resurrected, right, we were raised with him. Those are all present realities kind of lightly understood, but they're going to become full realities when Christ appears and we are raised with him and we appear with him in glory. It's our union in Christ. And so now we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to remember that union that we have with Christ and we are going to celebrate that union that we have with Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're, you're a believer, you're, you're, you can join us this morning and you, as you come forwards, and we'll hand you the bread and I'll hand you the cup, and you can bring that back to your seat and we will take time to remember and to celebrate who we are in Christ. If you're here this morning and you, you're, you're unsure or you have questions, that I would encourage you to, to not come forward, stay in your seats. But please don't leave without asking a question, asking for clarification. We would love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to have that conversation with you about Christ and his gospel and who we are in him. Paul warns the believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 not to enter into the time lightly, right? but to evaluate themselves 
Right, and so for our time here this morning, God has used this, whether it be through the preaching of his word or a song that was sung or a prayer that was prayed or just the Holy Spirit stirring. Right? Do that work before God. You're to examine yourself and so we eat of the bread and drink of the cup in a worthy manner. Because for anyone who doesn't eat or drink without destroying the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. But this is an opportunity for us to, to remember our union with Christ and to, to, to celebrate that union that we have with him. So let me pray for us and we'll partake together. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. Lord, and I think about our union with Christ. Lord, what, a, what a glorious, glorious truth. How encouraging that is. How life-giving that is. What, what freedom that brings. That we are completely fulfilled in you and who you are. And we are completely united with you. Let's pray that in our hearts and in our minds here this morning, Lord, that we would do the work that we need to do with you. That we could come forwards in, in a worthy manner and we could remember and we could celebrate. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damascata, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.